a Pulp MX Network production. This is the Rocky Mountain ATV MC Keeper Tested Podcast. The podcast you come to for the straight insight on all things motocentric. Hard parts, bikes, gear, suspension, motor mods, and more. It's Keeper Tested. Here he is, Chris Kiefer. Welcome everybody to the Rocky Mountain ATV MC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast presented by Fly Racing and FlyRacing.com. All of you guys out there hit me up on email, several emails. Love the Gary Sutherland podcast. So we thought we would keep it going with another high desert edition. One of Gary's best buddies in the high desert. None other than the 2016 National Hare and Hound Champion, Ricky Brabeck. Ricky, how are you doing? Who's Gary Sutherland? We're going to get to Gary later in this podcast. <laughs> but we're going to talk about you and all the things. we kind of In Gary's podcast, we run about how we started racing, what he started doing, and basically how we moved out here and got everything handled. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how you started. You know, because you come from a BMX background, you said before, correct? Correct. And then you got into desert racing. But give us, a, all the people that don't know you, give us a little bit of background about how uh, you started into motorcycles. Uh, yeah. I, like like you said, I was racing BMX. Um, and actually, I was a little shithead my whole life. How old were you when you were racing BMX? Uh, I started racing BMX when I was five years old. I uh, went until I was 13 and then when I was 13 years old I kind of fell off the BMX thing and then um, started to play a little bit of sports and realized that uh, sports also weren't that great team sports team sports um, you know I don't I don't agree with team sports you know well why not give us some insight on that uh, because I, I just uh, it's, for me it's not that fun okay like it's it's cool to play every once in a while, but man, when you're like eight, nine years old, ten years old, and you got to get a ride to practice, and then you have some asshole coaches yelling at you the whole time, that's not fun. That's not. It's like being at home getting yelled at. Yeah, exactly. So, so why? So so why go to the park and get yelled at by someone else? <laughs> right. So you didn't like team sports, so you started doing BMX. Well, yeah, I got out of BMX, started doing team sports, uh, kind of both at the same time, and then. Uh, Moved up to the desert and realized I can ride my dirt bike from my house. So, how old were you about then? I moved up to that desert when I was 15 years old, 14 years old, four, like almost 15. So your your parents weren't from up here, and you guys would you guys go out in the desert and camp, and that's kind of how you started going riding, or what? I grew up a dune goon. Oh really? Yeah. What Dumont or Glamis or both? No Glamis. I uh, I've never been to Dumont until I uh, got a ride with the rally team. Really? Yeah. So you wear Metallica t-shirts and bandanas and shit and went and, go and pinned it out in the desert? Did you wear LBZs? No, dude. I had SMP, you Dickie did? shorts, tank serious? tops. Yeah. Fox Fox stuff. I was a full... Mixed match? Adel- yeah. Yeah. I was a full Adelano goon out in the dunes. That's awesome. I didn't know that about you. That's cool. So you started out in the dunes. <laughs> you were doing- on quads or dirt bikes? No, no. Dirt bikes. Come on. Okay. So when was your first desert race? Uh, my first desert race was the beginning of 2007. Uh, January was Jackrabbits. 
and then um, I did pretty good. I won the novice class, and I kind of liked it. So then uh, my dad bought me a desert tank for my YZ250F. Mm-hmm. And then later that year, I went back out and did it again. And then, um, you know, in 2008 <clears throat> is when I really chased the series, you know. And then that's when I became like an amateur. And then 2008, 2009, late late 2008, early 2009 was uh, expert. And then uh, graduated high school in 2009. Then I kind of had to start paying for my own stuff. And dirt bike is not cheap. So everyone. let's take a step back. So... For those that have seen Ricky now, is a lot different than the Ricky in the past. Um, I didn't know you that well back in the day, but dude, you were what, 300 and some pounds? Yeah, I was getting to that Kiefer. Uh, graduated high school, uh -huh. and I wasn't re really fat. I was, um, I was probably, I don't even know what I was, but uh, I, I was 210 when I graduated high school, because that's when I... I got my license mm -hmm. and uh yeah after high school you know get a job do whatever you want to do uh, enjoy you know every teenager gets a little alcohol here and there and right. goes to some house parties desert parties go, yeah go to the branding iron yeah um and eventually that led to like eating out at three in the morning to try to cure your hangover that you know you're gonna have the next day to what, was try your, to make what was your go-to at night after that was it Del Taco? No, Danny's right there at Kendall by Glen Helen coming home from the branding iron. Okay. 3 a.m. Hit, hit, hit up some meals or what? Some hush, some pancake puppies, dude. Like the little freaking... <laughs> a pancake The puppy. little balls, yeah. What the hell is a pancake puppy? <clears throat> it's like a little donut hole, but it's... From, it's a pancake? Yeah. i never even seen that. Oh, you gotta get drunk. And you ate a shit ton of those. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry, keep going. And then, uh... Yeah, eventually I was, my heaviest was 297 pounds. And uh, I worked uh, for my dad's business and I realized that I hated work more than I hated team sports. So then I started training and racing motorcycles. So were you... I fell off the motorcycle racing in like 2010 and 11 era. Like I didn't fall off, but I didn't race as much as... I okay, but what I'm do. saying is, you had a bike and you were 297 pounds. You were still racing at that heavy. Oh yeah, I was breaking subframes all the time. Okay, so and and did you guys go get your suspension done and find some of the deer stuff and that's what you did and just decided, hey, we're just gonna go pin it in the desert and then 300 pound dude just pinning it across the valley in the desert and that's what that's how you did it. Yeah, I didn't finish very much though because I was at that time I w didn't at that time I thought I was fast but. I wasn't fast. Um, I was kind of breaking my bike every single race because I was trying to go through the rocks and through everything rather than going around them. Finesse it, right? Yeah. So I was breaking calipers, cases, brake pedals, pegs, discs, uh, wheels, uh, shifters. I was breaking basically everything a rock could reach from from like the ground basically to the side of the bike. Now at that time when you decide, hey, I'm going to leave my dad's shop and I want to go racing when did it click like this is something that you kind of want to do and then second part is when did it click like oh shit like if I do want to do this I'm going to have to get in shape well it started clicking when I got asked by Bob Bell and Scott Jacobson to ride on the Baja 1000 THR Kawasaki team in 2013 
when uh, unfortunately we lost Kurt. But after that, you know, well, the year before that is when I started to train and eat way better than like Bakers and In N Out and Tacos and Albertos. Right. Yeah. Uh, but after 2013, um, Scott still wanted to help me and wanted to help me in Heron Hounds and Bob as well. So, uh, you know, for that, that I think is what grew me because my first year in Heron Hounds, I won the championship, which was, I don't it was crazy. That was the first year you ever did the whole series? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. For, yeah. 2014 was the first year. I did the whole series, and then before that, I maybe did two Heron Hounds. But you weren't that heavy in 2014, right? No, 2014, I was probably 225. Okay, so you've lost a lot of weight then. Yeah, and then, uh, because I started this process, like, of training and and trying to diet in, like, 2012. Mm -hmm. And then, um... For those out there listening, and that that are heavier, and... Because I think this is a good message for people out there that are heavier, that are riding dirt bikes. I get hit up, you know, through my... Um, social media accounts and even my email asking, you know, hey, what should I do for training and stuff? So, what did you do to diet? I mean, did you just just cut back on food and what did you do both or what? Uh, the first, maybe the first thirty pounds, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't really hard to do. It was matter of fact really easy because all I did was I didn't even exercise. I was still working for my dad and uh, I just started eating better you know I was I was making breakfast at home rather than stopping at the gas station um I was bringing my lunch which was like tuna and some fruit or chicken and some fruit with uh like the recommended serving on the back of the box right. of crackers yeah uh which was like 12 crackers for you know 80 calories or something something stupid like that um and then for dinner at the time I was living at home I was 20, 21, um, I was eating whatever my mom would make, but, uh, portion size, you know, I wasn't going up for seconds or I wasn't, you know, making the plate gigantic, you know, a tower of food. I was being, you know, eating. Were you still hungry afterwards or did your body get used to what you're eating? No, at first it's hard. The yeah. first week you're, the first week's tough. You know, when you're, when you bring your lunch and you only bring a, a little tuna packet, some fruit and a cup crackers and a water. Yeah. When, that's so that's that's a normal size lunch that's I bullshit mean, is what that is yeah complete bullshit i mean we, <laughs> we we can go to you know a burger spot and get a burger and fries yeah, and be way so happier good. yeah full and like god it's good shit right and a coke or right. a milkshake but that's you don't want to do that it it's it's too easy to do is what the problem is yeah right yeah, definitely. I think, you know, eating right is, it's more expensive, obviously, and it's hard to do. You got to cook your meals. So I just think that's commendable. You know, you stuck to a plan. Um, and sh what, how much you weigh now to right now I weigh two fifteen. Okay. two sixteen. Um, but you know, I'm trying to lose weight every day. It's like a constant battle because I think that I'm still fat. I think it's just an image that I have in my head. So I don't know. Yeah, you just don't want to get to that level again, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, we're going to get to Dakar, more to Dakar talk, but I want to talk about Baja because you're... How many times have you won Baja 1,000? I've won the Baja 1,000 one time. One time. Baja 500? One time. Okay. But you've been going down there for how many years doing that event? Uh, I've been going down to Baja... 2009 was my first year in Mexico. Went down... Um, 
at the time I wasn't working for my dad. I was working for uh, Country Oak and Stove up here, installing fireplaces. You were? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's fucking awesome. I asked for the day off on Friday. Yeah. So after work on Thursday, me and my dad jammed down to Mexico. I raced my section on Friday, came back, came back home Friday night, and worked Saturday. No shit. First time in Mexico, got losses all hell. All right. Uh, through the night, it was sketchy. And then uh, the year after was like my first time I went down, 2010, to pre-run and everything. And then uh, all the way up till 2014 or 13, I was racing with Jim O'Neill in the oh. amateur class. I, okay. I, I mean, I would call it the amateur class now, but um, in 2014 when, uh, you know, Scott wanted to help me, we were riding Kawasaki's prep by Precision Concepts. Uh you know the bikes were good. Right. They were solid. They were smooth. They stayed straight. Uh, that was that was the year I won the the Baja races, and ever since then I haven't been back. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit what what attracted you to go to Mexico? Because for, for me, you know, I'm a moto guy. I, I, I've been to Baja once. I raced Baja 500 one time, and unlike you, I got roped into it. Okay. I uh, <laughs> the guy's like, hey, Kiefer. Come race the Baja for me. I'll sign you for a contract uh, for a Supercross because he liked to go into Baja and he ran this um, team called Planet Yamaha, which was Planet Honda back in the day, if you guys remember that. So I went down there. Eddie Deans was his name. Do you remember Eddie Deans? Never heard of that guy. Okay. So um, went down there, never pre-ran, almost got hit by a fucking car. <laughs> People are out there videoing the back of their trucks. This is before they had uh, speed limits. Speed limits. So, I, my section was from the start to um, Valle de Trinidad. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I went on this highway section, 11-mile highway section. I saw the dude that was in front of me physically, so I got to catch this dude. Well, they have the sharp signs in Mexico, right? And I was, like, losing time because I would back off the throttle. Because, and the, and the, the turns weren't even that sharp. So, I'm like, well, fuck this. The next one, I'm just going to pin it. <laughs> well, the next one... The sharp sign was, it was really sharp. So here I am, it's, you know, in the early in the morning, it's misting out, the, the fucking concrete's wet. Whoa. I go in this corner, I'm like, oh shit, I back off throttle, I'm in a two-wheel drift, sliding across the double yellow, going, I'm dying. I'm going off the fucking cliff, I'm dead. A car comes around the other side, okay? Now I'm, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm done, right? Jesus, I, take the wheel. I hit... <laughs> the fucking car and swaps me back straight and from there on i was like i'm done fuck mexico so what i don't understand is what attracts you and so many other people out there to go race this which to me and you you were you you knew kurt you were there with kurt all these things and before that even happened danny hamill these things that happen all the time what attracts people to keep going down there uh, well, because huh. I mean, we talk about this when we bicycle and we do shit and you're just like, dude, Mexico's cool. Like, it's just like an adventure. That's what you keep telling me, you know? And it's like, well, shit, man, I don't, I don't understand. I won't have an adventure. I'll stay in the United States. Uh, yeah, but in Mexico, you always get, you always get the unexpected and, uh, you always kind of get a little lost, turn around for running and end up somewhere cool. Right. But, uh. You know, the movie Dust to Glory, uh, I think everyone has seen it. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
if you haven't been to Mexico, you know, and you and you see the movie, the next thing in your head is, I want to go to Mexico. I want to do it. Right. And if you're an off-roader, uh, obviously, you know, there's legends down there like Johnny Campbell and Larry Rossler and Danny and Kurt. Yeah, and there's all there's yeah. all these legends, and you know, it's just for you know a weekend warrior guy. It's cool for those guys to go down there and say that they raced the Baja because it's for one, it's like a different country, right? But uh, all these other legends have raced it, so I think for those guys, it's 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 cool to say that you did the Baja One Thousand, right? Because it's now after Kurt passed away, does it kind of lose its luster for you? It's kind of been like going down there again. Uh no, no. I mean. I want to go down there, yeah, and I would probably still be racing down there. Mm-hmm. Hadn't you know the rally contract right. showed up, but uh, now that you know I'm I'm learning rally and having fun with rally and getting better at it. Do I want to go to Mexico? At times, yes. Right. Uh, at uh, times, no. Right. So I, I mean, it's it's up in the air. You know, if I if I feel like hauling ass in yeah. sketchy situations, then yeah. I'll but I don't want go. any of that action. <laughs> I want to know where the hell I'm going. I want my lap times about two minutes. Motocross. Right. Two and two and a half minutes <laughs> is perfect for me. <laughs> Let's talk about Hare and Hound. So you won the championship two times, am I am I right? Two times, yeah. Fourteen and sixteen. 16. Um you've had some crashes, some big ones. Yeah. And what what 15, 2015, you broke your neck, right? Yeah, I broke my neck in 2015 um, when I should have been in Mexico racing the Baja 500. I broke my neck in Utah. And then uh, 2017 in April, the week after my birthday, I broke my neck again. So now. Well, and then, but you still got up in that one and won the race. Correct. Still got up and won the race. Yeah. So I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, like it's like it's crazy for me to think about you guys out there hanging it out. And for for those of you listening, you're probably familiar with off road racing because otherwise you wouldn't be on this podcast. But for those of you who are not, you follow ribbon in the desert. There's arrows to point to where you need to go. There's there's no navigating unlike Dakar and that stuff. So you follow the ribbon and the arrows. But when there's a down arrow, there's danger markings. Sometimes those danger markings aren't always in the right spot, or you're off course a little bit and you don't see it. Correct? Correct. Or they're, or they're blown down, or yeah, or whatever. Whatever. Sometimes, yeah. To me, it's sketchy, and I think the Caselli Foundation is working on some of this as they go. Is, um, you know, you're at the mercy of these clubs that put these races on, and you're at the mercy of the people that say, okay. I decide this is a dangerous spot, so I'm going to put an arrow here. So, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if I think you know about this, is the Caselli Foundation, you know, goes around the course and checks the markings to make sure they're okay in the right spot, and they relay back to the club if it's not. Correct? That's correct, but I think that relay message may get lost in the mail most of the time. But it's up, so it's not up to the Caselli Foundation to do the markings, it's up to the club. It's correct, it's... So in the club, if they do make the changes, they get paid an X amount of money? That's what I, I think it's 500 bucks. Right. But, it, I mean, what the Caselli Foundation is doing by sending Paul Krauss and 
and or David Camo out there to to ride the course. Mm-hmm. You know, both ex professionals that are they should know, know right? They they know exactly. Right. They're smart. You know, they they do a good job. I see Paul out there with a list of things. Right. Uh, I just saw Dave Camo out here at the Checkers National Air and Hound uh, with a list and a GPS. But uh, the problem isn't them. They, like you said, they have to relay the message. They have to get to the club and say, hey, here's here's what I think is wrong and needs to be fixed. But sometimes the club says, okay, okay, you know, and I think just to get them out of the hair, out of their hair. Yeah. But does the club have enough time to do that and actually do it is where we're struggling. Right. Do you think something could go in... <clears throat> And, and and you're the top racer in, in the elite level of the sport, so I think your your opinion matters. I feel, and I'm an outside guy looking in, is I feel like it should be up to the Caselli Foundation after the markings are already marked. Let those guys make the decision because just like you said, they know how to race. They've been there. They've done that. If something's not right, let them fix it and then get them back to the club so it's done. I just feel like it should be someone else's responsibility as at the time for the you know the safety of the racers that's how i look at it because you guys are going fucking a million out there and <laughs> and you hit something that you you don't even see half the time and you need some time to to see it coming up you know not when it's right on the spot so yeah it's i mean it's i think it would be good if uh you know dave Campbell or paul kraus took someone or two people from the club right at the same time Correct. One guy with stakes and arrows and one guy with ribbon. Yeah. Just so that way, if there's something, you know, uh, a danger not marked or a corner not marked or there's too big of a gap in the ribbon, you're going to, you get confused. Mm-hmm. That way, like, it gets fixed right there on the spot at the time. You know, it's, you're not going to relay the message and, and wonder if it gets fixed. Maybe that's something that you guys can think. It's kind of like Supercross, you know, all the riders need a union. There's none of that shit going on, and I think that is needed. Maybe something that you guys could put together, and you top racers, and and just be like, hey, this is what I think you guys should do, and and see if you guys can work it out. Because I think it's for your safety, and you know, you want the longevity of your career. I think that's that's beneficial for you guys. So, not to get off a tangent on that's a whole nother podcast. We can talk about that later. But basically, I want to talk about your Heron Hound Championships. You won the first one on a Cowie under Bob Bell, correct? Correct, and THR. And THR, and then the second one, obviously, after your your championship in fourteen, did you get a JCR ride right after that? Or was it a still year a year after that? No, it was a year after. I got I got the JCR contract for sixteen. Okay, so then you went to Honda. How did you uh, like the change? I mean, obviously, you won the next championship. Did you like the bike? The change was good. I used to ride a four fifty X in high school. 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. and then uh, when I was racing in Mexico with Jim O'Neill, we were racing 450Xs, but it, honestly, it was, it was like a dream come true to even get a factory ride, let alone be with Johnny Campbell. And then you obviously won your championship in 16, and then started looking into rally racing? Were you approached that, or is that something that you've always wanted to do? I always watched the Dakar rally. Mm-hmm. I... You know, I was in school when Quinn was racing, when Robbie Gordon was racing, and I was always, you know, of course I'm going to root for them. Right. America. America. Right. But uh, 
you know, I was, at the time, Quinn rode for Johnny, and at the time, I wanted to also ride for Johnny. And then Robbie Gordon, I was, that guy's a freaking legend, you know, he's... He's kind of an asshole, isn't he? Yeah, for sure. He's he's a real big asshole. But <laughs> okay, because I've heard that from a lot of no, people. No, but he he's a good driver, <clears throat> and you know there's there's better drivers out there than just him. Right. So, you know, watching the Dakar on TV was cool. Um, never in my wildest dream would I have thought that I would be there racing it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in your first year, how'd you do? First year, I got ninth. And did you win a stage your first year, or no? No, no, first year I didn't win any stage. Um, so give us, the people that don't know, I don't know Rally that well. I mean, I know a little bit just from talking to you, and since you've been in it, I've been paying attention to it more, but what what is it about? What Tell us about it. Like, Is it like Tour de France, but a dirt bike, or what is it? Uh, the Dakar Rally is organized by the same people that do Tour de France. Right, ASO? Yeah. Okay. But uh, basically it's... Racing as fast as you can, following a paper road chart that has your kilometers, a direction you need to go, and notes that could say danger or rocks or a cliff, a village, anything like that. And there's hidden waypoints. So throughout the rally, you have to make sure you get all these waypoints on top of hauling ass. And, you know, it's, there's, there's no pre-running. You can't pre-run. You get the road book the night before the race or before each stage. So is the markings that on your, on your map, are those markings spot on? Unlike, you know, arrows at Heron Hounds and things like that? Yeah. The, the, the dangers and the dangers and the kilometers and all the notes, everything you need to, to get through the next day is pretty spot on because they send a opening car out uh, three days before right. each stage, so that way they can perfect the road book. And then when they give it to you, they know a hundred percent that it's correct. You know, so because you could, you know, you can have a rainstorm and the the wash can be flooded, and we can't get through it. So then they need to reroute and make a new road book. Okay. So they they drive the course before we race on it, which is good. And the markings are really good, but it's difficult to do when you're doing 100 miles an hour. Right. Um, talk a little bit about your bike. Obviously, your bike's pretty damn trick. Most people don't know too much about that bike versus like a normal 450. Or, um, so what's the difference between your bike and a normal 450 that a guy can go out and buy? You know, it is a 450, correct? <laughs> yeah, the rally bike is a 450cc engine, but the difference is basically everything how much uh, does it weigh 420 pounds 420 pounds so that's yeah. like two 450s almost yeah correct and is the weight pretty is it handle good i mean what's it like to ride oh uh, we've been doing a lot of testing and now yeah now the bike is really good it's more of a more of like an off-road style bike let alone like rather than a a road racing bike mm-hmm. so uh you know the the whole bike's carbon basically uh Carbon and titanium, so there's there's a lot of money into it. Uh, we just got back from a mountain bike ride, but you're we were bullshitting about it a little bit, and you said top speeds one sixteen. Yeah, hundred and sixteen miles an hour, and you said yeah, there's some sections that you go tr- across. Well, perfect example. This year you said there's a sand dune that's three thousand feet, 
high and you go straight down into the bottom floor. Yeah, you go from the top of the sand dune, which is elevation of 3,000 feet, and we go straight down to the coast. Like, I mean, everyone listening, you've probably seen the video of Robbie Gordon and his Hummer doing 157 miles an hour or something down this dune. But it's... Oh, so you can just pin it. No braking. You just pin it all the way down. Wide open. No shit. Yeah. Holy crap. I got to see this. There's a video of this? Oh, yeah. All over the internet. Oh, I got to see this. I'm locked into my <laughs> moto world here. I got to venture out a little bit. Motocross. <laughs> we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to get you to be a moto guy soon. <laughs> so you're you're looking for uh, looking towards the rally. The rally starts in, what, January? In January. Jan- in January on the 6th in Peru. So... You've had what two years under your belt now? I've had uh, two. Well, Dakars? the first year, yeah, two Dakars. Okay, so two Dakars. What's your expectations this year? Where do you see yourself? How do you want to do? What does Honda expect you to do? Well, Honda expects me to do good. Okay, they told me that. So, what does do good mean? Top three, <sighs> top five. What does do good? Win stages. What is it? Well, do good in my mind is winning. Okay. But, uh, it's not it's not easy to do, you know. Oh, uh, absolutely not. These guys are these guys are fast, um, but I I'd like to win a few more stages this year and hopefully get on on the podium. You know, the ultimate the ultimate goal and uh, dream is to to win the Dakar. Right. But you know, I'm not I'm not going to say I can't do it because I know it can be done. But it's going to take a lot of work. Has any American won Dakar? No. Podium? Yeah, Chris Blaze. I think Danny Laporte and uh, Jimmy Lewis. Okay. So you won stage. Have you won a stage? Did you win a stage last year? I'm sorry. I thought you did. Yeah. yeah, you did. So it's possible, and you could do it again. Is there certain stages that suit you better than others? Uh, yeah, I do. You know, I. <laughs> it's funny because when rough to them mm-hmm. is like a sand wash. Oh, really? With rocks. Okay. So when we go through. Uh, say cross grain off track or through camel grass off track with an off track is no trail. What the hell is a camel grass? Like little sand, like little sand piles with grass in them. Okay. That's like camel little, grass? That's what they call it. Okay. Good to know. But if we go anytime off track, they, you know, I feel stronger and that stuff. Yeah. But these guys rip on dirt roads. They, they really hold, hold the throttle to a stop and wing it. So you have two teammates with you? Five. Five teammates? Yeah. Five total. Okay, but the one I know is Goncalves. Yeah. And he has done very well before, correct? Correct. And uh, he has a brother that rides a moto and mm-hmm. the uh, MXGPs. That's why I know this, because I'm relating it to moto. <laughs> <laughs> moto. Moto. <laughs> so uh, so th- January it starts, and you said it's 15 days this year versus 13 days. And how many miles is it? I think it's like 6,000 miles. Six thousand? Yeah. Nine thousand kilometers. So they say it's like riding from the tip of Alaska all the way to the North Pole. The North what? That's that's right <laughs> next to each other. <laughs> okay, well he's not Pole. a geography major, people. We know this. You did graduate high school, right? Barely. <laughs> he's a dirt biker, that's why you gotta know. <laughs> and I grew up in the desert. So it is fifteen you get how many rest days in the fifteen days? You get one rest day at fourteen thousand feet elevation. Oh, that's another thing people understand. How high do you guys go when you guys race for 15 days? I think the highest this year is going to be like 15,000 feet. Holy shit. Race. So, but yeah, there's. I think there's only four days. 
do you, of high elevation. Do you try to acclimate yourself before you leave, or do you do anything special before you try to bail out to, to do something like that? Yeah, we we all try to do as much as we can. Um, you know, obviously, ASO runs this, this thing, so uh, you can't really drug up uh, too much. You, right. know, you could take you could take a few a few things, but you have to be careful because they can they can drug test you right there after you finish the stage. You know, with hair, pee, or blood. So you got to be careful what you do. Did you get drug tested last drug tested last year? No. Okay. So it's random. It's random, yeah, we, yeah. So I mean, cold. It's even some cold medicines I hear are like sketchy sometimes. Like if you get sick, like you can't take shit. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's not the cold medicine's not the problem. It's what's in it. Okay, yeah. So I mean, you, you could be sick as shit trying to take, uh, you know, let's just say Dayquil. You could be sick as shit. Right. Take Dayquil. You're lucky you get popped for taking Dayquil because it has whatever's inside. Whatever's inside of it. Right. So. You have to be really careful. The list of drugs is is bigger than any book I would want to read. <laughs> right. But it's it's tough. So it's really good to have a, a doctor that knows all about the ASO to help you out. Yeah. So and and to go off of your team a little bit, you have a group of Honda engineers, technicians, guys around you for all the riders. Um, they take care of the bike, but uh, basically, you know, it's up to you to do, you know. The racing, and then when you get off, is it up to them to get the bike ready for the next day? Yeah, the mechanics I think have the harder job for sure. Right. You know, they as racers, we don't clear, we don't nearly get as much sleep as we should. <clears throat> Maybe four hours, five hours if you have a good night of sleep, because you know you're always, you know, riders meeting each night running around trying to get your stuff together for the next day, talking to your mechanic, you know, doing this, doing that. But the mechanics, they go to bed at last and right. they're up first. Yeah. So I think the average, I would say the average sleep each night for a mechanic is two hours. Jesus. How much do you sleep during the night? Are you still wired when you go to bed? No. I mean, the first... Four days is 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 rough. You you know you you go start fifth day, sixth day. You're not really tired, mm-hmm. but the tired really sets in after you you have the rest day. You do the rest day and you think you're good to go, and then you wake up the day the morning after the rest day, and then that's when you realize like your body is fatigued. I bet. So when you're when you're done, you're done with the car. You fly home. How long does it take you just to recoup and like get back in the mode of riding? You got to be burnt the fuck out, right? Uh, yeah, you know, doing doing rallies all year and hair and hounds is definitely a lot. And you and Gary give me shit because I don't ride enough. Blah blah blah. I don't you ride enough. enough with me. That's all so, I care about. So both of you guys can suck it. Mm-hmm. But uh, all right, we'll get back to you on that. Doing uh, doing rallies is tough. A small rally is two thousand five hundred miles. And we're doing that in one week. And then... uh, Jesus, I didn't know that. The Dakar is, you know, four days after the Dakar, I get home. So three days after the Dakar, I get home, I have a hair and hound. So after that hair and hound... Your bike, your 450 probably feels like a bicycle. It's nice because it's light. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, after, you know, after the hair and hound, that's three days after the Dakar. I like to just not ride my dirt bike for a month 
Yeah. But it's it's hard with the Aaron Hound schedule, especially for 2018, because we have 11 rounds. So uh, I think there's a Aaron Hound like every few weeks. Right. But um, it, it's tough. You got to take as much time off as you can after the rallies because you're you're on the bike for so much. I imagine your brain's probably fried too, as much as your physical side. Yeah, coming home from from uh, Dakar on the airplane is so nice to not have to look at a marked road book. I bet. And just walk around and be free because looking at the road book for 10 hours a day for 15 days really takes a toll on your on your brain. And how, how long are you gone from the time you leave and the time you come home? How long is it? Three weeks? Four weeks? I think this year is going to be four weeks, yeah. I want to ask you a gnarly question right now. You ready? All right. Okay. You're gone four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What do you do beat off at all? I mean, this is a gnarly question. But it's Kiefer's podcast. This is where we're going. <laughs> You're a man. Well, do you do anything to yourself to make a release for four weeks? Before the rally, for sure. Okay, but during, but like at night? There, no, there's no no Nothing. Way. So you're built up yeah. for four weeks. Yeah, you're ready to freaking So you're home. You're, you're, you're home. You're ready to rock. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that is gnarly. I don't think I could do that. Four weeks is a long... I, okay. Hey, I did that as a bet. Heather betted me I couldn't go 30 days without taking care of myself or her doing anything to me Dude, and your balls like, are probably at your knees hey she's like if you if you do it I'll buy you a two stroke because I wanted a two stroke at the time I don't know why I hate two strokes but I wanted a two stroke and she's and I did it dude and I had a fucking I had those little Dremel tools one time when I was at work work grinding some shit down the vibration <laughs> and I was and I was staring at it and, the, and one of my buddies walked in he's like the fuck are you doing with that thing? And I'm just like staring at him. He's like, holy shit. He's like, you need some help, dude. You need to hurry up and get this 30 days over with. So that I respect that, man. That's a long time. I mean, sure, your eating habits are all different, too, because you're on the freaking trail every day. Yeah, you just try to live off granola bars. God. You lose, how much weight do you lose during the time? I don't really lose any weight when I'm over there because I eat a lot of bread. Yeah. Because the food is not so good. Okay. So, I mean, in... It's sketchy, but you don't want to really take the risk and eat a eat a sketchy meal and have the shits. Right. So I I stay safe with like soup and bread for dinner. And you're good. And I'm good. And maybe meat if it looks okay. And you have some snacks on the bike with you when you're going out. Yeah, we carry uh, granola bars and gels you know, and shit. Gels, whatever fruit, fruit snack, whatever you want to snack on. Because you figure you leave the bivouac, eat the pits at four in the morning. And you don't get back until four in the evening, three in the evening. So right. it's, I mean, you have to go all day. You have to carry money and food. And can you believe Shorty wants to do this? I think it's, I think it's rad because I don't think a lot of motor people even understand the, the off road side of things. You know, they're they're moto. They're all about moto. All they think about is moto. All they want to do is why moto. You, why are you talking shit? <laughs> hey, I love motocross more than because you've never trail ra- 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 I trail. Ra- I grew up racing desert, dude. Dude, dude. <laughs> I grew up chasing death. Dude, dude, I rode 125s many years in the Heron House. That's cute. You don't even probably know who I... Remember Johnny Brash? Yeah. I raced Johnny Brash, Jeff Capt, um, Hallgath, um, K-Well. I don't know. Dude, man. old school, bro. I raced death. Hallgath still races Heron Hounds. He does? Uh, I saw him at the last Hallgath was the man on 125s, dude. If you want to know how fast 125 can go, watch that dude go across the valley. He still rips it. it. So, um... So don't bag on moto dudes. Not all moto dudes are, are one-dimensional. 
But I just can't get over how Shorty's with the top of his game in Supercross. You just don't see that shit. And I'm just like, man, that's crazy. So having him race this year, where do you see him finishing this year? Obviously, he's new to this. So how do you think he'll do? I think, you know, for it, it, it's cool that Shorty wants to do it. You know, he loves he loves trail riding. He just loves... He loves adventures, dude. He he loves off-road. He loves adventures. He freaking loves... Dude, in Morocco, we had a, a marathon night, which is uh, when you have no assistance, you got to sleep out in the desert by yourself. We had a marathon night in the middle of the sand dunes, and that shit is rough. But you look at Shorty, he's loves also... It. All smiles, loves it. Loving it. Didn't even take a shower. No. Loves it. He went to Mexico, I remember telling the story, and he was on the beach just like hanging out. His, he had no phone service. He's like, that was the best time I ever had in my life. Yeah. And I'm like, really? And I'd be over it. I'd be like, I got to get back. Motocross. Yeah, I guess that is a motocross <laughs> thing. I can't see the truck. <laughs> I can't see that. Where's that at? I need that fucker. There's no flaggers. Where's everybody at? Yeah, but I think it's really cool Shorty's doing it. Um... Let's let's talk a little bit before we get wrapped up on this. Let's talk a little bit about this thing that we have up here in the high des. We have Gary, which is your competition. We have you, and there's me. So we go on these bicycle rides. We do these training things because we're you know we're all we're all buddies here. But it gets chippy sometimes when I'm with these two fuckers because we'll be riding. And they'll bark at each other, just like you probably hear in the background. They, you guys bark and bitch. It's just a nonstop thing. Like, and I feel like I'm stuck in the middle, like, like a little, like a little girl going. I just, you know, I just want to get along with you both. I'm Switzerland over here, and you guys just grind on each other. So, is that fun for you guys, or is that just or do you get over it? Because Gary will be like, I want to, I'll train with Ricky, but I can't train with Ricky all the fucking time because, you know. I race them, so I can't be around them all the time, you know? So I don't know how you, I don't know where you stand on that. But that's Gary's voice, by the way. Anybody wants to know that. <laughs> I, I'm not like that. I, I could train with Gary every day. Right. Uh, I think, I think that's just a sign of uh, me getting in his head. Yeah, Gary. Suck it. Yeah, suck it, Gary. Yeah. Doing suck. your own program. Right. Bullshit. Hey, but he is moving to T-Mac. You talk about a moto guy. He's going to turn into a moto dude. Yeah. So you're the last high des guy, so you're my last hope. So hopefully you don't move and go down the hill in the 909 or anything. Uh, I'll never move back down the hill. Okay. So you're high des for life? I'm high des for life. All right, guys. Well, that's Ricky Brabeck. For those of you guys who don't know, we're having 45 minutes in. Anything else you want to give out to the peeps out there? And At Ricky Brabeck is your Instagram. Yeah. Follow Ricky on his... You going to post some shit on Dakar? Like during Dakar? Yeah, I'll have uh, I have international service, so I'll try to post uh, every day. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna be able to post on marathon night, but uh, I'll try to post every day and let let you guys know. Yeah, how, how everything's going. And then there's is there somewhere else we can follow? I mean, it's on TV, correct? Yeah, it's on TV uh, for for America. It's kind of a bummer because it's not on to like 11:30 at night or what something. What channel is it on? Do you know? Mm, no, not sure. You know. I'll know, I'll know, and I could post it on Facebook. You know. Yeah, so you get a, at Ricky Brabeck on Instagram. He's on Facebook. Follow him. You know, um, he's our our great American hope for Dakar. If he wins, cheeseburgers and beers. If he wins the... Dakar, there's going to be a badass party in the high des, right? We're going to throw some shit down. We're going to burn this place down. Okay, we're going to do it. <laughs> and um, 
So, L, real quick, next year, what's your plans? Do you know yet? You have a two-year contract with Honda for rally, correct? Correct. And you got another year on that? Yeah. Are you going to try to race Heron Hounds again, or what's your plan there? I think for 2018, I'm going to do selective Heron Hounds because I'm going to do more rally-based stuff next year. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't happen this year, then I want it to happen next year. So, or if it doesn't happen in 2018, I want it to happen in 2019. So I'm going to do more uh, rally-based stuff in 2018, which will require me to be gone a lot more. So looking forward to it. All right. Well, there you go. Ricky Brabeck. And we're going to end this by how we ended Gary's um, podcast, by saying, suck it. So just tell Gary to suck it. Suck it, Gary. There you go.